Welcome to the audio podcast of North River Church. You can find out more about North River and ways you can be involved at our website, gonorthriver.org. I want to invite you to go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word and join me in Acts chapter 8. We're going to spend some time this morning working our way through Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 4 and going through verse 25. The message is going to be entitled, The Joy of the Gospel. And so as you prepare to hear God's Word, the text will be up on the screen for you as well. Let's look at Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands, From the apostles, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. And pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. What I want to do as we walk through the passage is frame everything with this main idea. This is the main point of the passage, and that is the gospel brings great joy. 
the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for us, that Jesus came to this earth, that he lived a perfectly sinless life, that he went to the cross and died for our sins, paying the debt that we owed, that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day. That is the gospel, the good news, that that message brings joy. Now, what we're going to see is this play out in the early church as the message of the gospel moves from Jerusalem, as we saw the persecution come on the church last week in our time together, that that gospel message is going to spread from Jerusalem into the surrounding areas, to Judea, and as we're going to see here, into Samaria. We're going to see the gospel message pierce into the darkness where it's not gone before up until this point in time. And the person who is going to be used to carry that message of the gospel is a man by the name of Philip. Now, we encountered Philip back in Acts chapter 6. He was one of the ones set apart to serve within the early church as they faced uh, some difficult times. And so Philip is the one who is carrying this message into Samaria. And what we're going to see in the text, uh, broken up into two sections, uh, the first part of Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through verse 8 is we're going to see kind of a summary of the gospel message going in to Samaria. And so we're going to look at that, and then we're going to look at a snapshot of a particular person that the gospel impacts this person's life. We're going to see that in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. So let's look at the first part here, this summary of what the gospel does as it pierces in to the city of Samaria. It says in verse 4, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now don't forget that they were scattered because as we saw earlier from the time Stephen was stoned in the previous chapter up until this first part here of Acts chapter 8, we see incredible persecution come into the early church. We see that Saul, who we're going to encounter later on in the book of Acts, who is going to become the Apostle Paul. Saul is part of this persecution party seeking to stamp out Christianity. And so we see that believers who had been gathered in Jerusalem because of this persecution are scattered everywhere throughout the known Roman world at that point. And as they are scattered, I want you to notice what they do. They're not scattered because of persecution and sitting back and pouting because of it. They're not scattered and sitting back, wringing their hands, trying to figure out, oh my gosh, what do we do now? How are we going to react to this? What are we going to do to try to preserve ourselves and to take care of ourselves and make sure that we don't get caught or make sure that that persecution doesn't come against us? No, it says that they were scattered about and they were proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So instead of pouting, they were proclaiming. They were proclaiming what Christ had done for them. And so as they're preaching the word, it brings us to Philip. This summary of Philip's ministry in Samaria, it says that he went down to the city and that he proclaimed to them the Christ. He lifted high who Jesus is and what Jesus had done. Remember, the Samaritans were not friendly with the Jews. In fact, they were considered half-breeds. They were not welcome into the temple in Jerusalem. And so at this point in time, the gospel had not gotten to them, and yet Philip carries the good news of the gospel to those who are in Samaria. 
I want you to notice in verse six, it said the crowds with one accord, they were paying attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and they also saw incredible signs that he did. We talked about this early as we walk through uh, the book of Acts and early on we see God's hand working in incredible ways, miracles being performed. And we said all along that that was God's stamp of approval, God saying, yes, this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is my message. This is what I want to spread throughout the world. And I'm placing my stamp, my seal on this good news message that brings joy. It says in verse 7, unclean spirits cried out with a loud voice and they came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy. Underline that in your Bible, much joy in the city of Samaria because the gospel brings joy. The good news of the gospel brings joy. So we see the summary of Philip bringing the message of the gospel into Samaria, and now we're going to see a snapshot where we go from just a summary of what goes on to encountering a specific person This guy's name is Simon. He is, as they describe in the text, a magician. But I want you to notice that magician is not what we think of, like Penn and Teller magician or something that you'd see on TV as a magician. But this is someone who had performed miraculous signs. In fact, some of the signs that uh, the apostles were doing, there were others who were seeking to copy them and to do uh, those things right along beside them. We saw even uh, back in the book of Exodus as Moses is interacting with Pharaoh and doing signs to show that God is powerful and God has sent Moses to Pharaoh to tell him to let his people go. We see that even Pharaoh's magicians are able to do similar signs to what Moses is doing. And so the reality for us is just a reminder that Satan seeks to counterfeit everything that God does. And so here, Simon, this magician, is doing miraculous signs. But I want you to notice what happens. He hears the message of the gospel. And so we see in verse 10 that they all, that's all the people in Samaria, those who are around Simon, paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. And they say, this man is the power of God that is called great. They paid attention to him because for a long time, he had amazed them with his magic. So they were watching Simon because they were amazed. And yet Philip comes on the scene and Philip is preaching the gospel. He is performing miraculous signs. In verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. They believed the message of the gospel that Philip was preaching. They were baptized. They were publicly declaring what Christ had done in their lives. And then it says, even Simon in verse 13, himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and he saw signs and great miracles performed. He was amazed. And yet something changes a bit in verse 14. It says, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to Peter and to John in Jerusalem. They said, come and see what has happened in Samaria. The gospel breaking forth into this city, into this community. Look at what is going on. 
So they come and they realize that the message of the gospel has truly saved people in Samaria. It says in verse 16, the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they laid their hands on them. And when they had received the Holy Spirit after that, Simon looks and he saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. So he offered them money. This is a magician. He needs power. He's gotten saved, but he's still a little bit confused. He's seeing something he's never seen before. So his thought is, man, I want that same gift of God. I'm going to pay for that. I'm going to give them money so that I can receive that gift for myself. Verse 19, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. I want you to notice something about Simon in this moment. Simon is more interested in God's gift than he is in God. Simon is more interested in getting something from God. He wants the power of being able to lay hands and for the Holy Spirit to come upon people. He wants the gift of God more than he wants God himself. In fact, I'd say at this point, he's got a defective view of who God is. Even though he's trusted in Christ, even though he's been baptized, he has missed the point of what's going on. It's interesting here that the apostles say to him, listen, you need to repent of that. You need to turn from that. The gifts that God gives are not more important than God himself. And so in this moment, what we see happen is Simon does repent, does turn from that sin and says, pray for me that I may be forgiven, that this burden may lift from me. In verse 25, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem. But as they are heading back to Jerusalem, they are preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. You know, for us this morning, that is the text that we're covering. That's the background. And I want to pause for just a little bit. I want to give us an opportunity to worship the Lord again through song. And then we're going to gather back together. And I want to take a few moments to seek to apply this text, what God is saying here through his word to our lives. How can we look at Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 4, down through verse 25? How can we extract from that truths that impact us today? Let's worship together. So now that we've walked through the text together, I want to take this opportunity to look at how do we apply this text, what we just covered, into our daily lives. And I want to go about it a little bit differently, moving from uh, front to back. I want to go now taking the snapshot of Simon, and then I want to move into the summary of what's going on in Samaria. And so I want to look at just the snapshot for a little bit. So we were encountering this man named Simon, who was a magician. You remember what we said about him. The, the main thing for him is that Simon's primary desire is to have the gifts of God without God. You know, for me this past 
week and I guess maybe even the week before that as all of this stuff started happening with coronavirus, like I started thinking through what does this moment mean for us individually? Like, what does it mean for us as families? What does it mean for us as people? What does it mean for us as workers? What does it mean for us as parents? And I started thinking about Simon and realizing that oftentimes for us, like Simon, we want God's gifts more than we want him. We want what God can give us more than we want God himself. And yet the gospel message reminds us that God is our great joy, that it's not what God gives us that brings us joy, even though he does give good gifts. The fact is that God's gifts are simply meant to remind us of who he is. So here's how I started thinking about this for my life personally. You know, for all of us, as we look at different things, right now we're having a lot of the things the good gifts that we think about stripped away in our lives. I mean, just think about financially. We're having at this moment stock markets crashing. So if your thoughts are, man, my identity, my God's goodness is wrapped up in a financial system and it comes crashing down, could it be that God is pulling that rug out from under us to remind us that the gift is not the best thing? It's the giver who is the best thing. You look at our families and, you know, we do a lot of different things. We play sports and, you know, we've got kids who are playing travel ball and we've got kids who are involved in different activities and school and all this kind of thing. And those things are good things, but oftentimes they become God things in our lives. And could it be that right now God is stripping those things away to bring us back to a point of recognizing that He alone is deserving of our worship. We don't worship the gifts that God gives us. We worship God. For Simon, Simon wants God's gifts, but he doesn't necessarily want God as much as he wants what God gives him. And so as I was thinking about that with our lives, with my life personally, listen, I love the church but there are moments when, as a pastor, the church can become an idol in my life. There's moments when I find my identity and how many people we have show up on Sunday. And like, I've wondered this for my own life. Did God just strip away that to say, Michael, do you want what I give you or do you want me? Do you want people showing up on Sunday or are you more interested in worshiping me? You know, for all of us, I think there are things that can sometimes creep in and are good gifts from God, but we place on the idols of our heart and we place on the throne of our lives and we think that those are the things that are most important. And maybe for us, maybe for us individually, maybe for us as families, maybe for us as a church family, maybe for us as a nation, for us as the world, God is stripping away those good gifts to remind us that those good gifts are meant to point us to the giver, to God himself. And so for us, I wonder if this text can search deep in our hearts and 
Help us expose maybe those gifts that we've put on the throne of our lives. And then in this season, when we don't have those gifts or we're not experiencing them like we used to, we can be reminded that those gifts are simply meant to point us to the giver of those gifts, God himself. Because the reality is, the gospel message, what Christ has done for us, brings joy. It's the most important thing in our lives. You know, as we look at the summary, moving from the snapshot of Simon back to the summary, we're reminded of what's going on in Philip's life, what's going on in the life of the early church, that they are scattered because of persecution. Listen, we are scattered because of the coronavirus. We have been sent out of our normal routines into a whole new routine. Uh, For us as a church, we've been scattered out of a building and virtual online. And we could look at that and we could pout. We could look at that and be incredibly discouraged. We could look at that and say, man, God, why would you allow something like this? Why do I have to endure this? Why do I have to walk through this? Or like the early church, we can look at this as an opportunity for us to take this moment of being scattered out, not to pout, but to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God has given us an incredible moment in our lives right now. I mean, just think about this. You have an opportunity right now to hear preaching online and to share that with your friends, to comment. You have an opportunity to engage with other believers online. You have a watching world that is looking at the church in this moment who is wondering, does anybody have hope or is it all coming crashing down around us? And we as God's people, we as God's church have an opportunity to say in the midst of panic, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of the world seemingly crashing down around us, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the anchor for our souls. What Christ has done for us means that regardless of what happens in this world, we are assured as God's children that our future is secure. You know, the reality for us is this is a moment in our lives that we may never have again. This is a moment, parents, for you when you may never have an opportunity again to spend the kind of time that you're going to have to spend with your kids over the next number of weeks. And you're going to have an opportunity to talk with them, to worship with them, to spend time with them in a way that you've not had before because of all of the things that we have going on in our lives. But this moment, you can grab hold of and take the opportunity to proclaim to your kids the hope that can be found in Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity right now as you have unbelieving friends who have never trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior to say to them, to open the door and say, I have hope. I have peace. I have joy. And that joy and that hope and that peace is wrapped up in what Christ has done for me.
So utilize the moments that we are scattered, that we are no longer maybe meeting together in a building, moments when you're not doing the things that you normally do, to use as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the reason why. In this city of Samaria, as Philip proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, as people were transformed by what Christ had done for them, the Bible says it brought joy. Joy comes when the gospel is proclaimed. And for us as his church, this is a key moment. In the same way that it was in the life of the early church when persecution came, this is our moment, church. This is our opportunity to proclaim the hope that can be found in Jesus Christ so that our city, so that our nation, so that our world can experience the joy that we have experienced. I believe we may see God do more during this season than we've ever seen in the life of our nation. We have an opportunity before us. And the question is, will we take advantage of this moment in time to proclaim the gospel and to bring joy in the midst of sorrow? And that's our task, and that's what we've been called to do. And you may be watching this and you personally have never received the gospel of Jesus Christ for yourself. You've never trusted in Christ as your savior and you're panicked right now. You are wondering, is there hope? Is there joy? Is there peace? And I'm just here to tell you that is found in Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity today to surrender your life to Christ, to turn from your sin and trust in what his death and his resurrection accomplished for you. You can be saved and made a child of God and experience the joy that comes as a result. Church, may we be found faithful to do what God has called us to do. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity before us right now. We're thankful for your word, for us being able to see how the early church responded in the midst of a difficult situation as they were scattered about because of persecution. Help us as your people respond in the same way that we would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and that it would bring joy to this city, to our state, to our nation, and to our world. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to continue to worship with us right now. You have an opportunity to respond to the Lord. If you need to talk with someone, we love to make ourselves available, whether that's through Facebook or YouTube, or if you want to email us at the church, nrc at gonorthriver.org. You can reach out to us by phone as well, 941-803-4722. We would love to talk with you, to pray with you. If you're searching 
or what it means to follow Jesus Christ, to be saved, we would love to interact with you and lead you to take that next step. Let's worship together.